You ever felt weighed down before? You ever felt like that kind of fatigue that's not just fatigue from a long day, but it's fatigue from, well, life struggles that just continue to kind of pile on and pile on? And we take the bag with, full of, and this is full of rocks, let me, let me guarantee you. I thought this was a good idea until I went to the retreat this weekend, and I'm sore from playing with those teens, but sometimes we put this backpack on and we feel like we've got all these burdens, and yet it just becomes normal at some point. It becomes normal to kind of walk with our legs bent a little, our backs bent over a bit, and the weight becomes almost normal instead of something that's a burden to carry. You know, the last few weeks we've talked about sins that we commit and how those can be, uh, lead to baggage that shows up in our lives. This morning, as I said earlier, I want to talk about the kind of baggage that isn't our fault. It's the kind of baggage that appears uh, through other people's hurts that they hand to us. Maybe it was a, a relational strain or struggle that was someone else's fault in your life. Maybe your parents were divorced. It still continues to kind of work on you, this difficulty of relationship. Maybe it was a job loss, and you felt like you did everything you could have done, but you never got uh, to keep that job. Or maybe it's just physical pain. I think some of the heroes in our, our, our day and age are people who just deal with chronic pain all the time. And it's just there with them constantly. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And just to watch them still live with joy on their faces and yet this pain that's still there. We all walk in with burdens, don't we? Anyone say amen this morning to any of these things? That we, we have baggage. And I don't think we think about what the weight of this baggage does to us over the years when we carry it year after year. But I'm here to tell you, backpacks were not made to carry rocks. I'm, I'm telling you that, right? Backpacks were to take to school to carry books. It's for a short trip, maybe to go on a hike and to take the things you need for the journey. But they're not meant to be worn when you sleep at night. And yet some of you... That burden's still there every moment of your day, every moment throughout life. It's just this, these rocks. And it may not be a bad thing. It may be a blessing in your life in so many ways, but it's a challenge in ways that others don't face. Backpacks weren't designed to be worn while you eat dinner with your family. They weren't designed for holidays. They weren't designed for vacations. But they follow you around wherever you go. But I'm, I guess I'm curious, when was the last time that you've watched the Olympics and you've seen you know, an Olympic athlete running the 100-meter dash with a backpack on. We don't do that. Maybe in a training run or something like that. But we don't do that when we're trying to run our race as well as we possibly can. And apparently, that was true for athletes, not just today, but in the first century as well. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews 12, and I just want to read verse 1 right now to you. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Church, we are all in a race, whether we know it or not. We're in a race, and, and, and the challenge is that race is a marathon. It's not a short sprint. But if you've committed your, your life to Jesus and to the Jesus story, uh, you're a part of this race, and the good news is you're a part of it with a community of faith. 
And not just the community that lives here now. The cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 talks about are people who come from long ago that still arrive and show up in our lives. In fact, I imagine this picture in Hebrews chapter 12 about all those heroes of faith that have been shared in the chapter before. By faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith David, by faith all of these people. (coughs) Excuse me. And if you've ever run a race, a long race, maybe a 10K or a half marathon or a marathon, there are steps on that race that are lonely steps where it's just you pounding the pavement. But if you've ever run a race like that, you know that the last mile, you wonder how you can get through it sometimes, but there is a crowd that begins to gather that calls you on. There's a crowd of people that are cheering for your name, they're cheering your name, and you have it on your, you know, a lot of people write their name somewhere on them so that people can encourage them during the race. I remember when I was running my marathon, that last mile, I thought, I'm not going to make it, but when the cheers began to start, all of a sudden, I ran a faster mile there than I had the last six. Because there's something about people calling us forward, encouraging us in our lives that helps us. But in Hebrews 12.1, the Hebrews writer says, so let us throw off everything that hinders. All those burdens in our lives, let's, let's drop them so that we can run the race. And I know some of you are sitting here going, yeah, but you don't understand. My, my burden's a little different. It's not something I can just throw off. And today I want to talk about that. And, and it may be that in your life this may not fit exactly where you're at like, but I know a lot of us. We're walking through things that we need to let those burdens go in some way. So think about this great cloud of witnesses. But think about whatever it is in your life that's hindering you, that, that, that baggage that you're carrying onto, that burden. What would it be like just to, for, for just this week to begin to realize we can take that off in some way? Maybe we need help from somewhere else. Maybe it's just taking it off and giving it to God. But we need to shed those rocks that we've been handed so that we can run the race with perseverance. But this isn't just a sermon about what we take off. This is a sermon about more than that. In fact, the main passage I'd like to invite you to open to is in the book of Matthew. It's the words of Jesus I want to read this morning. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 is where I want to begin this morning. Jesus uh, says it's not that simple as the Hebrews writer says. You can take it off, but there's something else to this journey of healing that happens in our lives. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now let me stop right there. Uh, Listen to these words carefully, because this may be a verse you really need this week. Come to me. This is the word of Jesus. It's not leave everything at the door and then you can come to me. It's come to me with all that you have. You're weary, you're burdened, come in here, come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. And how many of us, that's that's good news, that's gospel this morning. Is that on the other side of those burdens and coming to Jesus, there's some kind of rest that comes as a result of it. But we got to read on because what he continues on with is the counterintuitive part of this passage. Because Hebrews talked about taking off, but Jesus continues with this. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I want to respond to Jesus, whoa, 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 Jesus. I I like what the Hebrews writer says, like, take off everything that hinders, let's run the race. But this whole put on a yoke thing, that doesn't exactly sound like the best news when I've been coming away from a burden. What is this yoke you're talking about? How can this possibly be some light yoke that you want to pass on to me? How is a yoke supposed to lighten my load? And and a yoke may be a strange term to you. I, I haven't hung out with many animals that need yokes lately. In fact, when I was thinking about that, the first thing that comes to mind is an ox, right? But all I could think of was Paul Bunyan and his 
blue ox babe, right? I mean, that's the only image I can get about this, right? But, 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 but oxen, right, to work together, there's this yoke that ties them together. Some of you may have seen this in some way or experienced this in your lives, have a better picture than I do. But I think Jesus is talking about more than just animals here, don't you? And we're not animals who need a yoke to go together. What is this yoke stuff all about? It sounds heavy. It sounds like we have to pick up a backpack all over again. And part of me wants to point out Hebrews 12, 1 to Jesus and say, Jesus, we, that's not a part of the deal. The Hebrews writer said, just lay it down. We're going to run the race. But I, I think both of these things go together. I think they're both right. And I want to talk about that with you this morning. But before you trust the preacher on this one, I think it's important to know what Jesus is referring to when he says the word yoke, because there's a background to all of this. So we have to remember when we come to this passage that this is written in a first century context. And Jesus is a Jewish rabbi who has, Jesus, who has Jewish disciples who are living in a first century Jewish world. And Jesus grew up in the region of Galilee, not too far from Jerusalem. And he had learned the stories about Moses. In fact, the story passed down was that Moses had received these Ten Commandments from God. And, and, and Moses actually penned, is, is how the tradition goes, the first five books of the Old Testament. They referred to those first five books as the Torah. And the Torah was huge for those who were believers in God, believers in Yahweh, who were of, of Jewish descent. And Torah just means instruction or teaching or the way. And Torah was the foundation of their lives. They built so much of their lives around this. So when most Jewish boys and girls uh, would get around the age of six, they would begin school at a synagogue, likely with a teacher. And the name of that school would be something called Beit Sefer. It would be held in the local synagogue. And in Beit Sefer, they would get teaching in the instruction of Torah, the first five books. In fact, for four years about, six years to about nine or ten years old, those children would learn the first five books. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. I'm just imagining in four years, Maddox walking away from our educational system and having to learn the Bible, right? That's, that's hard to imagine, right? I mean, that would be hard for us to do. But Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorize, these kids would do. Now, by the end of Bates' affair, most kids were no longer going to school. Many of those kids, they would go into their family business. They would apprentice with mom or dad. They'd learn the family trade. They'd learn uh, what it meant to, to take care of the home. But the best of the best would keep going on in school. They would continue their education at something called Beit Talmud. And in Beit Talmud, they'd move past the Torah. They would move on to the writings and the prophets, the entire Jewish scriptures, Genesis to Malachi. And guess what? By the age of 14 or 15, those students would have memorized the entire Hebrew scriptures. We're talking about that part, right? We like to hang out in this part. That would be hard enough. They, they memorized this part. They, they memorized Genesis to Malachi memorized. Now, by the end of Beit uh, Talmud, you would have a lot of students that would go off and then they would pursue the family business because they just weren't good enough to get to the next level. And so they would go and they would learn the family business, they would apprentice, they'd do what their parents were doing. Uh, around 14 or 15 years old was when this would happen. Now we usually think of a disciple as someone who uh, knows the teachings of Jesus. But it's important for us to realize that when there were disciples that would follow rabbis in the first century, they didn't just know what the, what the rabbi taught, they knew and tried to live out the way of life that the rabbi lived. And so uh, many of these uh, 
young, young kids, 14 or 15 years old, they would apply to the next uh, stage in the process. And if they weren't going to the family trade, hopefully they were good enough to go and they would go to Beit uh, Midrash. And Beit Midrash was basically this chance for them to go and study under a rabbi, a, a master teacher. And in this part of the process, uh, different teachers, different rabbis had different ways of reading the Torah. Some of them would be more uh, literal in their interpretation of the Torah. Others would have a a more open view of things. And so you would pick a a rabbi and you would apply to become his disciple, his apprentice. You would say, hey, would would you allow me to follow you? And, and, And so the rabbi would basically grill that disciple and would say, okay, do you know the Torah? You know, repeat it back to me. Do you know the entire Hebrew Scriptures. And, and there were some that they would say, boy, you seem to know Torah, you're trying to live this out, but it's probably best at this point to, to go and learn the family trade. But there were the best of the best of the best to whom that rabbi would say, come follow me. Which is a phrase we know from the Scriptures that we read in the New Testament, correct? And do you know what the rabbi's interpretation was that they were going to learn? The rabbi's interpretation of the Torah and the writings and the prophets, it was known as that rabbi's yoke. Their yoke. Which is interesting and I think opens up this text in a whole new way when we think about Jesus who says his yoke is light. And I want to talk about that light yoke today. And I want you to imagine being 14 or 15 years old. It's probably what these disciples might have been or soon after when they followed Jesus if they followed the tradition of the time. And there's this guy who's 30 years old who walks by the seashore. You know the story, right? And, and he comes and he talks to these disciples. And what are his words that he mouths to them? I, I want to read uh, from Matthew chapter 4, one of the stories of Jesus calling these disciples. Matthew 4, verse 19. Jesus says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. Now, I've always wondered about this passage because I'm thinking, who in their right minds just follows some stranger and says, come follow you? Yeah, let's go for it, right? I'll give up the next three years of my life to do that. I've always thought that a little strange. But if you understand the background of how this works and how a rabbi calls disciples, this is a huge honor. And if these guys are fishermen when they're learning with their, their dad, James and John, right? They're fishermen, then what does that mean? It means at one point there was a rabbi or they came to the end of school and they realized, I'm not the best of the best of the best. Like later on, uh, the disciples kind of get a hard word sent to them of who are these unschooled men, these fishermen, right? Well, it all goes back to the sense that they weren't good enough to make rabbi school. But Jesus doesn't pick the best of the best of the best. Jesus picks these fishermen and says, would you come follow me? And if you're a fisherman, you're like, I'm ready to drop my nets. Whatever you say, Rabbi, I'm in your corner. I'm going to learn and, and come to you and do everything I can. It's interesting. They drop their nets. In other words, it's kind of like throwing off everything that hinders them, right? It's like throwing off the past and saying, God, I'm ready to pick up whatever your yoke is, Jesus. And some of you, you've grown up with heavy rocks in your backpack. You've taken on a backpack, and, and, and for some of you it was different things, but for some of you, and I want to talk about this this morning, for some of you, your backpack with rocks was your yoke that you were taught. You grew up in a, a tradition, a, a church that really taught some kind of legalism that was very difficult to try to live out. The guilt was always around in that time. And when you look at the stories in the Gospels, Jesus is always bumping up against these these uh, 
Pharisees who are trying to do what's right, but they have a heavy yoke that they're laying on people. And Jesus comes into that, and, and for, for example, think about Sabbath for a minute, how this works, okay? Jeremiah, I want to read from just briefly, one of the Old Testament passages is they're being sent into exile. See, the, 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 the Pharisees are trying to set people on the right course because the people have been sent into exile because they disobeyed God. They didn't keep the laws they should have. So the Pharisees are people that are saying, let's go back to the Bible. Let's, let's try to live this out because we don't ever want to be exiled again. They're actually starting from a great place, trying to follow Scripture as well as they possibly can because they don't want to offend God again. and They want to obey Him with everything they have. They come from a good heart, many of them. But the Pharisees' yoke was heavy. So Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 21, I just want to read this uh, from this time of exile that's going on. One of the concerns about Sabbath that's shared. Jeremiah 17, 21. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your houses or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. So if you're one of the Pharisees, you see this in Jeremiah. This is a huge part of why they're in exile. They've disobeyed one of the Ten Commandments. So if you don't want people to disobey the Sabbath regulations, what you've got to try to figure out is what is... What does it mean to bring a load out of your houses? What, is that, what constitutes that? How are we offending God by that? Or what does it mean to do any work on the Sabbath? And so what the Pharisees would do is, here's the law that God commanded. Don't, don't trespass on this law. But what the Pharisees would do is they would build this kind of fence around that table, right? They would build these regulations around to define more what the law said. So as long as you don't step inside the fence, then you're not going to be ever guilty of stepping across God's command. Which makes sense if you don't want to be sent into exile, right? Let's, let's be a little more safe here. So the Pharisees have all kinds of laws, but when it comes to Jesus, and he's asked about the law, what does he say? This is the, the greatest commandment he's asked about, and he says, it's to love the Lord your God with all that you have, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he takes 613 laws, and he narrows them down to two, and he says, this is what sums up the law and the prophets. He's a rabbi. He's telling them what his yoke is. But the Pharisees, their 613 laws, they're trying to live out. And you know what they do? They add laws to every single one of those. So there's thousands of laws now to figure out. Now you've got to memorize not just the law of the Old Testament. Now you've got to memorize the fence law so you don't step in and offend in those stories. So when it comes to Mark chapter, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter uh, 11 that we were in earlier, if you flip to the next chapter after Jesus says this about a heavy yoke, the two next stories are about problems that come up with the Pharisees. The next one in, in chapter 12 is that the disciples are in a grain field on the Sabbath and they pick heads of grain and they eat them. And the question for the you know, Pharisees is, is that doing work? And it was clear that was breaking those fence laws that the Pharisees had set up. So he, they come to Jesus and they say, how can you let your... Your disciples do this, and he brings up a passage about David back in the Old Testament. But the next story after that, Jesus heals a man with a, a shriveled hand. He heals his hand. And again, the Pharisees are frustrated, saying, you're doing work on the Sabbath. And what had happened was these fence laws they had set up, they had really taken away the spirit of what the Sabbath was all about. The Sabbath, well, man wasn't made for Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for humans. And these fence laws made it where Sabbath became this hard regulation to, to try to keep up. But what it was meant for from the start was to remind us that we didn't create the world and the world will go on just fine without us. And it takes a day sometimes to not work to realize, you know, 
I'm not as necessary as I thought I was, that God's got this in control. Like that, that's the spirit of the law of Sabbath. But when it comes to this legalistic venture, then you, you can't turn on any lights and flip a switch because that's work. You can't, you can't do all these regulations that the Pharisees had set up. And that is a heavy yoke to bear. So in Acts chapter 15, there's this story about the early church. It's one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, I think. They've come together in Jerusalem, and there's this question about how, what do we do to receive the the Gentiles into this church family, because it used to be a Jewish community, and now the Gentiles are being added in. The question is, what is the yoke that those Gentiles have to carry, basically? Like, do they have to follow all the Jewish regulations? Do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to uh, follow all the Jewish food regulations? Do they have to follow the festivals? Like, what are we going, what yoke are we going to put on these Gentiles as they enter in? And of all people, Peter, who was likely present in Matthew chapter 11 when when Jesus says this about his yoke, he responds in an interesting way. I think probably going back to that story in Matthew 11. It's in Acts 15, if you'll turn there with me. Acts 15, verse 10. This is what Peter says. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. That's what he's saying. Let's stop there for a minute. He said, how's it going for you? We've had this yoke for years on us, and is it really the thing that God wants us to do is to pass that yoke onto them and have them bear the same thing? Have you been able to live it out? No. This is not the center of who God is. This is not the future of God and his church is binding these yokes onto people and forcing them to carry these rocks. So then verse 11, what he says. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The yoke for the first century church isn't all these regulations, not 613 of them and the fence laws all around it to remember. The yoke that Jesus gives them is two things. Love God with all you have. Love your neighbors yourself. And the yoke you put on is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I want to be bound to that. Now, before I close, I want to say that there are some other regulations that they give to the Gentiles when they enter in. They say, it's not okay to be involved in sexual immorality. That's going to be off limits. So we're not not casting everything off. Like There are parts of what it means to follow Jesus. You need to be able to eat at table with the Jews. And so we're going to ask you to keep some regulations so that you can sit at table with your Jewish brothers and sisters. So it's not that we throw everything out when it comes to this, but it is to say all these fence laws that tend to end up in legalism, that tend to end up in these places where we have to memorize all these things and not offend God when really we're just offending the traditions of men, those things aren't bound on the believer. And so the yoke of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, the interpretation of Jesus is a light yoke. So this morning, I would encourage you Whatever that burden is, drop that luggage. Like Hebrews 12 talks about, like throw off everything that hinders you because you're running a race. And that race, we need every one of you in that race. So throw off what hinders. But Jesus also says, hey, I've got a yoke for you. And it's a different yoke than what you'll remember the Pharisees taught. It's a different yoke than some of you had taught in the churches you grew grew up at. My, My yoke is light. 
It's easy what I have to give you. It, it's, a, it's a message of grace and it's a reminder that your calling is to do the law and the prophets. And what sums that up? It's to love with everything you have. It's what our teens learned this week. The whole focus of the weekend was about love, making sure they know exactly what love is as our culture teaches it and what it is not. But it's also to say, hey, if you don't love others, you don't love God. It's as simple as that. One goes with the other. So it might be light, but I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's hard to love people sometimes, isn't it? But I think this is a lighter burden to carry, don't you? So this morning, I want to invite you to drop your burden, to take on the yoke of Jesus. And perhaps today is the day you want to lay your burden down. Perhaps today is the day you want to lay, your, lay down the rocks that you've been handed, to let those go aside, to say, God, I'm going to take on your yoke. It's your yoke that's light, and I need my burdens lifted. Today, as we come together, is a chance to do that. And we're going to close in, in just a few moments, but I've got to tell you, don't leave today if this is something you want to talk with someone about. Go meet with our, our elders and prayer leaders in the back. They'd love to pray with you as you leave today or, or find me after service. I'd love to set up a time later this week to talk. We want to be a church that lightens the load that we all carry. And part of that is to get rid of some of the traditions that we've set up, but to hold on to others. Tradition's not a bad thing. Ritual can be a very good thing if we have meaning that's behind it, if it's tied to exactly what God's commanded us to do. But those unnecessary things the Pharisees let up led to a heavy burden. That's part of what we need to cast off today. Let's, let's pray as we close our message. God, I, I thank you so much that you call on us to, to, to lay our burdens down, every care we carry, and just come to your table. And God, I thank you that we've had a chance to do that today. God, there are some people that are walking in this morning with some very heavy burdens. Their shoulders are slumped. They need people to walk in beside them and to carry the load alongside them. God, some of us just need to drop the load to, 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 to get rid of the things, God, that weigh us down. That Some of us need to, to find a way to forgive those, God, who've harmed us and hurt us, to lay that burden down and, and, and to allow you, God, to exact whatever it is that you do in the end, God, to leave vengeance to you. God, some of us need to lay down... Uh, or words that have been spoken into our lives that continue to haunt us and continue to, to, to keep us held back from all that you have for us. God, some of us need to lay down some of the traditions that bind us, God, and to come to know your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the yoke that you've given to us. And we appreciate how light it is, God, that you carry it with us. And most of all, we thank you for Jesus who binds us to the grace and mercy of God. We are grateful this morning for all this. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen. Be standing now as we have our benediction.